The show you love with even more local, local news. news and more local talk. talk. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's your host, Mike Douglas. And welcome to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation as we kick off another broadcasting week here on the Mike Douglas Show. And we are in summer, aren't we? You can tell by the temperature, but you can also tell by the fact that we are in uh, in uh, the zone now for the baseball all-star game tonight is the home run derby uh, 5 p.m our time i believe 8 uh 8 p.m eastern time and then in the not too distant future yes college football gets underway i believe starts on august 27 and the nfl actually uh, their training camps i believe are underway for rookies at the moment uh, the first game of the season is scheduled for september 9 Home Run Derby was uh, always an important part of uh, our life. Our our son, good baseball player, played uh, oh from uh, junior high through high school, and was very good. Good second baseman, pretty good pitcher, and he was like a cat at second base. But anyway, for oh five, six, seven years or so, my wife and I ran a, a national convention uh, for the entertainment industry and uh, we were always on the road this time of year and the big thing was we needed to make sure that we were at a hotel that had ESPN because our son wanted to see the home run derby so we always made sure that uh, we had things uh, set up for that anyway uh, I'm very excited about college football uh, nearing nearing the horizon well looking uh, down the horizon a bit to southern california have you been listening to the uh, drumbeat of masking coming back indoors yeah los angeles uh, is looking at bringing back its universal outdoor mask mandate possibly towards the end of this month unless the county drops below CDC's high transmission threshold. I've always been somewhat suspicious of those stats. Now, Dr. Ashish Jha, and that's President Biden's COVID-19 response coordinator, he was asked uh, about the plans in L.A. to bring back the mask mandate, talking to ABCs this week. And what he told them was, my view on this has been very clear, which is local jurisdictions, cities, counties, states should make decisions about mask mandates because communities are different and their patterns of transmission are different. That said, he continued, CDC has very clear guidance on this as well as through their COVID community levels. And the CDC recommendation is that when you're in in a high zone, that sort of orange zone, as L.A. County is, you know, people wearing masks indoors is really important, and it really will make a difference. Well, I think at this point we know masks don't make that much of a difference, to my understanding. Jaw also said it's really important to remind people of the science 
Every time I hear the science, I get even more suspicious. The public health science and the public health science is very clear. If you're in a crowded indoor space, especially if it's poorly ventilated, wearing a mask reduces your risk of infection and reduces your risk of spreading it to others. So we've got to continue to encourage people to do that. Well, what about these stats? Are you ever suspicious about those stats? Well, this is interesting. The head of infectious diseases, epidemiologist Dr. Paul Holtum at USC County, uh, USC Medical Center, a big deal in Southern California, major medical center there. He's been talking about the data that's driving the recommendations to mask up again. Listen to what he has to say about this. Again, this is the head of infectious diseases, the epidemiologist at L.A. County USC Medical Center. Here we go. First of all, most of that data is completely incomprehensible because at the moment, many, many people are testing at home and most people aren't reporting those tests in. So no one has any idea actually how many people are testing positive at that point. Certainly, if the experience of our hospital is reflective of across the county, which I believe it is, we're just seeing nobody with severe COVID disease. As of this morning, we have no one in the hospital who had pulmonary disease due to COVID. Nobody in the hospital. We have 24 people who have tested positive for COVID, but nobody, nobody who had COVID-19 disease as we would see in the past. Isn't that fascinating? Again, a, a credible source, all right, the head of infectious diseases, L.A. County USC Medical Center. Nobody, he's saying, has severe COVID disease at L.A. County USC Hospital. Nobody. Nobody. Now, he is saying, well, yeah, there are people who have COVID. But again, he brings up this fact, I believe, that these stats get massaged to say whatever the person using them wants them to reflect. And so here we go again. (laughs) And uh, are you going to hear this from the mainstream media? Are you going to hear this from ABC, CBS, NBC, NPR, CNN, MSNBC? Are we going to hear this from them? Probably not. Probably not. Again, he's saying nobody at that, and that's a huge hospital, by the way, if you're familiar with uh, L.A. County USC Hospital, they're a huge facility. Been there a long time, and uh, it is... It, it It is a, an icon of, of medicine down in Southern California. I am, uh, I am amazed by the fact that this Dr. Holton actually came out and, and said this. And so when we hear these stats that cause local health officials to say, we have to mask up, I think we need to dig a little bit deeper into those stats and find out if if that's really true, if they really reflect a true case of COVID being uh, out of control. Again, and this has been an issue for a long, long time, 
and that is if you're in the hospital with some type of a serious disease and you also happen to test for COVID, that stat is counted in. And many of us have been saying for a long time, wait a minute, let's pull back. Now, I'm not saying that COVID is not a serious disease. Not saying that at all. I have friends who have died from COVID-19. I have friends who have suffered greatly from the disease. But we have to deal with this in reality and realize that there are public health officials and elected officials that are using these stats and massaging them to make them say something that if you dig a little bit deeper, they're not really saying. Again, Dr. Holton, head of infectious diseases at L.A. County USC Medical Center, he's saying nobody has severe COVID disease in their hospital right now. Isn't that amazing? As L.A. County is looking now at saying, well, everybody's got a mask up going indoors. Watch. Let's see how many uh, national news outlets. Let's see how many that are reporting that L.A. County is looking at universal masking indoors again. How many are also reporting what Dr. Paul Holtam is saying? That will be interesting to see. You know what else is interesting? (laughs) Recognizing what's happening in real estate right now, if you're watching it, home prices keep rising, inventories low, interest rate hikes mean price fluctuations. So selling your home now with an aggressive, experienced agent, it's the right move to maximize your equity. Do you have a growing family or are you working from home and you need more space? I understand that challenge. Well, call the agent I trust and recommend. Call Dan Phipps. Dan's proprietary marketing system guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours for full market value, or he'll sell it for free. His home selling program is designed to maximize your sales price. You're in complete control. I love this. No costly repairs required. No long-term contracts. And you pick your move date. Dan can even find you a new home before you move. Melody in Oakdale is well read up on this. She needed to sell quickly, but her home needed a bunch of repairs and upgrades to get a decent price, but she didn't have the time nor the money. Well, Melody called Dan Phipps. Dan said, no problem, we can do it, and he did. Dan got multiple offers and sold for much higher than Melody could have imagined. So call Dan Phipps. Dan is the man I recommend, and I'd hire him to sell my own home. He's the only agent who guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours, or it's sold free. So call Dan Phipps, 209-593-1111, or go to danphipps.com. That's Dan Phipps with three Ps, D-A-N-P-H-I-P-P-S dot com. And we'll continue the discussion. I want to talk about the the results coming out of the Secretary of State's office about voter response in the uh, June 7 primaries. This, uh, this is amazing to me. I'll tell you why coming in three minutes on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Take the Mike Douglas Show with you every weekday from 3 till 5. Download the free iHeartRadio app and follow 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV as we are here starting out a a new week here on the Mike Douglas Show. 
Uh, the uh, Secretary of State has released the uh, statistics for the June 7 primary. What What's today? Let's see. Today is July 18. Amazing how long that takes. I, I, I don't know if I was governor, which is probably a scary thought, or if uh, I was in the California legislature, a uh, slightly less scary thought. I I would I would be pressing for getting these res- results done in a much more um, timely way. I, I think this is ridiculous to have to wait. So well, there's a lot of people, Mike. I understand that, but I don't know. In a, in a day when it seems like the IRS or the Franchise Tax Board knows if you haven't paid your taxes like almost immediately. Uh, that we ought to be able to be able to count the votes a lot faster than we do. All right, uh, this <laughs> let me give you some highlights from this report. Uh, in terms of total registered voter turnout for California, it was about thirty three percent on June seven. In terms of eligible voters, twenty seven percent. So hovering around a third or even a less than a third for eligible voters voted on June 7. Despite the fact this was a very important election. Now you may be asking, well, what about the counties? Now let me just go over some of the counties that are in our, uh, many of you in our listening area. I'll do them alphabetically. Alameda County uh, registered turnout about 33%. Eligible turnout 27%. Now, Calaveras, wow, 48, almost 49% turnout for registered, uh, just about 42% for eligible voters. Very high, very good in Calaveras County. Contra Costa County, about 35% registered voters, 30% of eligible voters. Mariposa, wow, almost 54% turnout for registered voters. Good job, Mariposa. And for eligible voters, uh, 45%. I'm rounding uh, rounding up, by the way. Uh, Mendocino, 40, about 42% for registered voters, 33% for eligible voters. How about Merced, just to the south of us here? About 26% registered turnout, 19% eligible turnout. San Joaquin County, just to the north of us here, just about 29% uh, registered turnout, 22% eligible turnout. Stanislaus County, about 30% uh, turnout for registered voters, almost 23% eligible. Tuolumne County, good job, almost 49% of uh, registered voters and just about 40% of, uh, of eligible voters. What I find interesting, though, you may think, well, things are declining, right? Well, not really. And I, I'm looking at the, uh, they also put the stats out for uh, the historical votes. This is, uh, this is very interesting. As I'm looking down the line, and th- this goes, the, the stats they give us here go back to 1914. I'm not going to go all the way back there, but the... Um, the mid-year election, the mid-year primaries typically are pretty low. Uh, again, this past June 7, 
Well, back in 2020, March 3rd, the presidential, it was almost 47%. Uh, you go back to June 8, 2010, 33%. Uh, that was a, a mid-year. Look at the presidential in uh, 2008, almost 60%. But then uh, just before that, June 6, 2006, 33%. So what I'm, what I'm noticing is this is about par for the course. For California, in presidential election years, uh, there's uh, more than half of uh, of registered voters that turn out. Uh, not not so much for eligible. So I don't think this is a new dynamic, but I think it is a dynamic that we we need to talk about. It don't don't you find it disturbing, and maybe you don't. Do you find it disturbing that, especially in this last election, which had some very, very important races going on, that only about a third of registered voters turned out and less than a third of eligible voters turned out? What do you think would happen if, let's, uh, let's not get too far out, but let's push the envelope a little bit. What do you think would happen right now if if three quarters of registered voters in California turned out to vote? Do you think we'd get the same results that we are getting right now, or do you think we would get different results? What do you think? Let's let's push it. Let's let's go eighty percent. Eighty percent of registered voters. If eighty percent of registered voters had turned out on June 7, do you think the results would have looked any different than they look now? 209-551-3483, our number, 209-551-3483. Why do you think folks aren't showing up to vote? I'm, I'm just, is it they don't care? Is it there's no use? We have a supermajority, and so whatever I do in casting my vote, not gonna not gonna make a whole lot of difference. We think California's too far gone to make elections important or valid anymore. What do you think it is? What 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 what's the reason for the low vote? And and does the reason for the low voter turnout does this bother you? Maybe are are you resigned to the fact this? is just the way it is. Our number here, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm of the mind that a lot of attitudes toward voting are generational. My grandfather down in Southern California. He was a pharmacist. In fact, at one point, he was the uh, oldest working pharmacist in California in his 80s in, in Pasadena. And he, he would drive people to go vote, uh, customers of his or people that he knew, and he'd call them up. Are you able to get to the polls? Well, no, I'll, I'll come pick you up and take you to the polls. And so I, I have a generational 
passion for casting a vote. And I, I don't think I have missed an election. Now, there are some offices I have not voted for. Sometimes if I don't know a judge, for example, or if I think a particular proposition is so convoluted and ununderstandable, I, I have passed on that in the past. But for me, there's an inbred passion to cast a vote. To me, it's about being a citizen. To me, it's about having my voice and my vote counted. And if I don't do that, I would feel guilty that I've let down my fellow citizens. What do you think? Our number, 209-551-3483. We'll talk more about it in five minutes on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. You're listening to The Mike Douglas Show. The voice of the valley. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation as we kick off a new week of broadcasting here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Thank you so much for being part of the mix. So much appreciate your thoughts and your opinions. Right now we're talking about uh, just about a, a third, more or less, of voters, of registered voters in California participated in the June 7 primaries. Now, remember, California has made it easier to vote. And yet, if you look, I'm, I'm looking all the way back to 1914, for goodness sakes. I don't see an appreciable, now, I would say probably uh, through, oh, I don't know, the 1950s, Maybe in, yeah, to the 1980s, uh, the 80s has started to fall. The percentages of registered voters voting start, started to fall off a little bit, and now we're around a, a third. And I, I'm wondering, since California has made it easier, how, how come there hasn't been a change reflected in the stats here? How come we don't see more registered voters participating? Let's go to the phones, find out what you think. 209-551-3483. And we go to Modesto. Mark, what's on your mind today, Mark? Hi, I have kind of a silly question. Uh, what if the state of California did like what the federal government does and have an electoral college vote? Hmm. For so each county, what like, you're proposing uh, is for each county would yeah, have electoral votes. I, you know, certain counties are more rural and more possibly conservative, and it's kind of similar if you think about it. I, I don't know. I'll just listen to your comments. That's all I had to say. Yeah. Uh, th- Thank you. <laughs> Mark, thanks for uh, thanks for piquing my interest here. That's a very interesting question. Uh, I, I would say probably it would uh, take a lot of uh, work on the uh, California Constitution, and I think uh, the political battles might even be more horrendous. Uh, right now, of course, we have all these battles over uh, the delineations of districts and, and such, but that's an interesting thought, Mark. How about we have an electoral college type of setup for elections here in California, maybe, uh, maybe for governor? 
so that uh, the counties might be more appropriately represented. Interesting thought. What do you think about that? What do you think about Mark's idea? An electoral college in California. I, uh, that, 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 I, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, in my mind, I'm conjuring up a lot of bluster about that. I'm, I'm thinking a lot of uh, chicanery involved, but it's an interesting thought. We'll go back to the phones, 209-551-3483. Rick from Stockton, you're on the Mike Douglas Show. Uh, yeah, Mike, uh, I think you need to rephrase it a little bit. California made it easier to cheat on voting. <laughs> when you mail out 18 million yeah. ballots, and you have a drop box on every corner, and then you count ballots for a few days, days like San Joaquin County, still counting ballots, I think. Uh, you know, it just, uh, there's too many, too many stray ballots out there floating around, and you need a few extra votes, take a few extra days, you know where all the ballots are going, you fill them out the way you want, and all voila, they reappear. Every state now that has all mail-in voting on the West Coast here, Oregon, Washington, California, and Colorado, I don't believe there'll ever be another honest election in any of those states. And uh, that's why it's uh, one-sided all the time. Rick, I I think you have uh, made a very good point. I said it, California made, made it easier, and, and you have amplified that, maybe easier uh, to cheat. Let me think about that for a moment. Rick from Stockton, thanks for the call. Appreciate that. I think Rick has a point. I, I, I am still not sold on these mail-in ballots. I think the potential for chicanery involved in mail-in ballots is too great. I think that voting is a almost uh, a sacred responsibility in terms of being a good citizen. And that being the case, it ought not to be easy to vote. Now, I'm not saying we should make it difficult to vote so that certain people that we don't like or have different perspectives than we do can't vote, not saying that at all. But I I do think, you know, when, when we get a driver's license, what do we have to do? Well, we have to take a test. We have to uh, do a driving test. We have to pass a written test. And then we have to renew it every couple of years. And I'm, I'm, well, it seems to me that the gravity attached to voting is of similar gravitas, to borrow that term, as, uh, as a driver's license. And the, this whole business of... Voter ID. That, to me, that's simple. It, I, I reject out of hand the argument that voter ID attempts to make it hard for underprivileged people or people of color or minorities or whatever. No, no. What that does is that demeans. To me, it demeans the groups we're talking about, that somehow they're incapable of getting a driver's license or an ID card. You don't have to have a driver's license, right? You can have an ID card uh, to show uh, for voter ID. It's uh, very simple, very easy, actually, to do that, to get, to at least get an ID card to prove who you are. 
and to walk into the polling booth and to prove that you are who you say you are, why wouldn't we want that? Why would we object to having a voting system that as much as possible guarantees a righteous vote? That the person who is coming in to vote is the is in fact the person who is registered to vote. And I am uh, I am fine with the absentee ballots, never had a problem with that. I have had to do absentee ballots uh, over the years. Uh, For one reason or another, I'm going to be out of town, whatever it might be. I have no problem with that. And as I recall, for the absentee ballot, I had to request it. I had to uh, put my signature on the request. And uh, when I got the absentee ballot, I had to sign it and have it in by a certain time. And, and, and the other thing that, that really galls me, and I'm a guy, again, that was brought up about being on time. If you're not there five and preferably ten minutes ahead of time, you're late. That's the way I was brought up. You don't show up to things late uh, because it's rude to the people that you're meeting with, and it's, a, it's all about your personal integrity and professionalism. Unless there's a traffic accident or you're dead, you show up on time. Funny thing about that, just very quickly. (laughs) I did a funeral a couple of years ago for a guy that was known for being late to everything. Uh, His family told me he was late to everything. And as we were talking about his life ahead of time, uh, they, they jokingly said, you know, I think his name was Bob, maybe. Bob, I wouldn't be surprised if Bob is late to his own funeral. Well, as it happened, uh, Bob died in a different county, and so they had to load his casket up in that different county and drive it uh, to where I was in Stanislaus County for the graveside service. And yeah, you can probably see this coming. Bob was late to his own funeral. For goodness sakes. Uh, so anyway, what a little lighthearted thing. Fortunately, the family uh, found that to be quite amusing as well, and we, uh, we'd made light of it uh, as well. But uh, getting back to my point, be- being on time to me means if, the, if you have to have your ballot in by June 7, you mail it ahead of time to make sure it gets there by June 7. And if it doesn't get there by June 7, it's not counted. To me, when we start to relax all these rules, and and we again, the primary was June 7. It is now July 18, for goodness sakes, and we're just now getting the certified results of the election. To me, that's abominable. That's nuts. That's a theological term. We, we need to tighten things up, and, and this is good for everybody, in my opinion. This is... This is, in my opinion, good for everybody, whether you're Democrat or Republican or independent or whatever your persuasion might be politically. It seems to me this helps create a a better format for a justified result rather than, well, we'll we'll allow ballots to come in late. No, no. Now, if voting is important to you, you get your ballot in on time. What, what, what do we not understand about that? What do we not understand about that? Anyway, that's, uh, we'll continue to 
take your calls about that. Of course, as you can tell, I'm not passionate about this whatsoever. A number here, 209-551-3483. So we've relaxed all these rules. We have, what, 30-plus days before we get the results. We've made it so easy to cast a vote in California. Why do you think our voter turnout is so low? 209-551-3483. We'll continue the conversation in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's more with the Voice of the Valley, Mike Douglas on Power Talk 1360 KFIV and streamed on the iHeartRadio app. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Been talking about voting and uh, what I would say is a pretty poor voter turnout in California of late, especially in the midterms as basically about a third, more or less, of registered voters and even less than that of eligible voters participate. Yeah, we're getting your thoughts on that. 209-551-3483. Since California is making it so easy to cast your vote, why do you think more people aren't participating? 209-551-3483. Debbie from Stanislaus, what are your thoughts? Well, here goes something or nothing or whatever. I believe, deeply believe, that most people, particularly in Stanislaus County, Sacramento, the whole state of California, all the way down to L.A., Bakersfield, you name it, there has been so much corruption in this state, particularly our state of California, that actually I think if we were really honest, we're having a hard time being honest. We're not talking about the things that are really down and ugly. We're talking about the periphery. I believe people individually, if they were honest, they would tell you, Michael, that they are so discouraged. They don't know whether they're coming or going. You see, we're not talking about the individual people that have the, the dire things that are happening in their lives. We're, we're just brushing on the surface. And unless we're willing to get down and dirty and deal with what is wrong, we will never be able to be free. And God said the only thing that will set us free is the word, the truth. And we're not telling the truth. We're playing games with what we're going through. We're saying what sounds good, what people think is so wonderful to listen to, but nobody's willing to get out on that limb and saying, this is what's happening in my life in the state of California. And if I live in Stanislaus, Stanislaus, this is what's happening to me. What can I do? Where can I go? There's no one to go to. Who do I go to? The Board of Supervisors? Huh? The county? The city of Modesto? There's no place to go. Where in the world of God do I go? I'm tired of hearing about the little dick-tats we're going to have. We're going to show our cars. We're going to do this, that, and the other. We're going to have little parades. Fine, that's all wonderful, and I love those things. But I don't like the lies. I don't like people not having any. I have been told by people to my face that they have nowhere to go. There's nowhere in Stanislaus, let alone the state of California, let alone the United States. There's nowhere to go with what you need help with. Where do you go, Mike? Well, let me yeah, uh, let me let me let me react to, to some of your comments there very quickly, and and want to get to another call as well, Debbie. Uh, you made uh, two main points here. One is corruption. Uh, it may be 
and that I I don't disagree with that. Corruption may be discouraging a lot of people from voting because they feel it's uh, nothing's happening, it's not being solved, and that uh, the big issues uh, that need to be talked about are not the issues that are really on the table, and uh, that that may lead to that voter apathy as well. Uh, I think those are those are two valid uh, valid reasons, uh, Debbie, that uh, that may cause this. Let's uh, let's go back to Modesto, Nancy. What are your thoughts about voter apathy and voting, and why we only have about a third of the voters participating that are registered? Hi, Michael. Well, <laughs> I am just um, very discouraged about the voter turnout, and I'm appalled that, uh, and ever since they started this, where we do not have to show I, any any <laughs> identification whatsoever to vote. Um, I know uh, my husband and I, when that first started, were like looking at each other and thinking, wait a minute. Um, we are citizens of the United States, and we should have to prove it. And so that very much disturbs me. I haven't missed an election to my knowledge. I don't think I've ever missed an election in my life since I was able to vote, and that's been a lot of years ago. But uh, anyway, I, I just um, am very sad. I don't believe in all of this mail-in. I know that there are occasions when people have to do the mail-in, and I understand that. But uh, I, don't, I don't think that it's the way we should go completely. I also am discouraged that so many people, as has been mentioned, are not bothering to vote. Uh, this apathy is very scary to me in our country. Um, I don't believe people have given up really, but they just are confused and um, mm. not sure uh, in so many cases how to vote. As you mentioned, if you don't understand something, then don't vote on that particular issue. But anyway, Michael, that's enough. But I do want to thank you very much for the kindness you show to your callers, to yeah, listening politely and uh, uh, finding things that they have said both to agree with or maybe uh, counter an idea with. And I just want to thank you so much because you have an excellent program. Well, Nancy, uh, thank you so much. <laughs> appreciate that very much. You blessed me today by those comments. I really appreciate it. I, I, I think Nancy's point about confusion, Demi made a point about corruption. Uh, we'll, we'll use uh, another C word, uh, confusion. I, I, I think you may have a good point there, Nancy, especially as as we uh, come to look at, by the way, there are going to be some propositions on the next ballot in November 2022. And that cre- those often create a lot of confusion because they are not typically very clear. And it is confusing. All right, let's go uh, very quickly to uh, Jerry from Modesto. What are your thoughts about voter apathy, Jerry? Uh, Mike, uh, civics in high school, they don't teach it anymore. Kids are coming up. They don't even give a damn about uh, voting. Uh, 90% of the kids come up there, and uh, they're, they're half the people that go uh, go up to the voting, they're just the old people. The young kids don't even care about voting. So there's, there, there's your problem right there. I like that, Jerry. I like That's that it. a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. 
uh, thinking about this. Thanks for the call, Jerry. Great, this is a great point. I'm, I'm thinking about what kids are being taught today, especially in elementary school. They're being taught that they can change their gender. Uh, they're being exposed to things they ought not even to think about. But are we teaching them about civics? Jerry, great point. Why aren't we paying more attention to civics in our educational system? Well, I believe it's because the NEA, National Education Association, and the CTA, the California Teachers Association in California, don't want that taught. They don't want responsible voters. They, they, and I've got a, tell you what, in about five, six minutes, I want to share with you uh, something that happened at the NEA convention a week or two ago. This may blow your mind because it reveals to us what's really happening in the uh, high echelons of these unions. They're not about reading, writing, and arithmetic. They're not about creating uh, the, the new engineers and, and uh, the new doctors, the new nurses. They're not about the academics. They're not about the basics. They are about social engineering, and the engineering that they're doing is really really scary. You're not going to believe what I'm going to share with you in a couple of minutes. It's just absolutely infuriating to me. And uh, again, I'm going to share that with you in, uh, in just a couple of moments here. Again, uh, you're listening to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Coming up in five minutes, I'll share a clip from the NEA convention. You're not going to believe it. We'll be back here on the Mike Douglas Show. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The show you love. Talking about the issues that are important to you. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now every weekday from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here again is your host, Mike Douglas. And welcome to our number two of the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation as we get things going on this Monday to kick off our week here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Uh, Nancy uh, called a couple of moments ago and brought to my mind the National Education Association Convention. That's the big national teachers union, big money involved uh, they support uh, a lot of causes that uh, I don't, but that be, be that as it may, this is why I wanted. This is what jogged my memory in, in talking with Nancy on July. I think it was July third at their national convention. Uh, the NEA president Becky Pringle uh, gave uh, a keynote address, and. Um, I'm going to play part of that address for you in, in just a moment, but let me give you a little bit of background. Everybody remember Professor Angela Davis? Yes. Yeah, remember she was a graduate student, University of California, San Diego, late 1960s, uh, became known for her association with uh, several groups like uh, the Black Panthers, uh, Worked with the uh, Che Lumumba Club, which was an all-black branch of the Communist Party, an avowed communist. 
and she was hired to teach at UCLA and ran into trouble with UCLA's administration down there because of her association with communism. If you remember, she got fired, uh, fought uh, UCLA in court, got her job back, and I believe she left around 1970 or so when her contract was was up. But she is uh, still uh, what they would call, I suppose, an influencer as our, in our society. Again, uh, an avowed communist. Now, why am I telling you this? Because Becky Pringle, African-American uh, woman who is uh, the head of the NEA, said this at their NEA convention in Chicago this past July 3rd about Angela Davis. Here we go. For half a century, the writer and educator Professor Angela Davis has called on this nation to bring its practices into full alignment with its promises, to create a society where equity and justice are the rule, not the exception. After a lifetime of struggle, this longtime activist has not abandoned hope. She continues to believe that this nation will one day develop the capacity to transform boundaries into bridges. NEA, as the bridge builders for over 50 million public school students, and with the rights of so many Americans at risk, we must share that view Professor Davis holds dear. Whether it is a mind, a heart, a school, a community, or our world, transformation is always possible. Change is always possible, NEA, because of you. And the crowd went wild. The National Educational Association, NEA, the big, the big union nationally for teachers, and I'm interested in what some of you who are teachers have to say about this. What was the main theme of the beginning of the keynote address by the head of the NEA this year? We ought to be more like Angela Davis, an avowed communist. Now yeah, we, equity and justice, notice how we throw out those terms with, with uh, such ease. We need to have the capacity to transform boundaries into bridges. What does that mean? Our, our society is at risk. Really? Rights are at risk? I think my rights are at risk, but I don't think that's what Bre- Becky Pringle had in mind when she was citing Angela Davis and basically saying, we must hold Angela Davis's views, an avowed communist. This is the NEA. And you'll wonder why, going back to Jerry's comments a couple of moments ago, why people aren't voting and are discouraged. 
and feel defeated and feel lied to and feel powerless because the big money, the big power people are not sharing the views of our founding fathers. They're not sharing the principles of the rule of law. No, they're advocating socialism and communism. The NEA apparently not too concerned about reading, writing, and arithmetic. No, they're they're concerned about socialism and communism and a radical transformation of our culture. Well, they're having some success, but I think we're beginning to see the pushback. Are you comfortable with the NEA right now? Are you comfortable with the fact that the NEA, the big-time National Teachers Association Union, is advocating the perspectives of an avowed communist, Angela Davis? Is that who we're supposed to be mimicking these days? Is that our, our role model, Angela Davis? You've got to be kidding me. Have you heard this on national media, by the way? Did you hear this address? Have you heard this anywhere? Anybody brought that up? Has it been brought to your attention? Does this bother you at all? Do you think it's fine for the NEA? What's your response to the NEA saying to the world, we need to emulate Angela Davis, longtime avowed communist. We need to adopt her perspective. She's our role model. Do you believe this? It's almost like a nightmare, isn't it? What what do you want to say back to the NEA, back to Becky Pringle? What do you want to say to the head of the NEA who spent a large part of the beginning of her keynote address extolling the virtues of Angela Davis? What do you want to say to her? as parents, as citizens, as teachers, as educators. Many of you are educators. What do you want to say to Becky Pringle? 209-551-3483, our number, 209-551-3483. We'll be back with the Mike Douglas Show in three minutes here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 1360 KFIV is your place online. Let's get social with Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Been talking about uh, voting, voter apathy. Jerry made a good point about education. We don't seem to be uh, instilling civics in the minds and hearts Uh, of our young people these days know we're talking about how they can change genders and how that's so important, which in my mind is uh, really child abuse. But be that as it may, we're also uh, talking about the NEA, uh, the national, the big national teachers union is uh, their, their president on July 3rd was extolling the virtues of uh, Angela Davis and how we ought to uh, adopt her ideas of uh, what our culture should look like and instill them in the little minds of our children. 
Oh, let's find out what you think about that. 209-551-3483. Going to invite uh, Nancy back. I know Nancy is a, a retired teacher. Uh, Nancy, your your additional thoughts about this? Well, I'm appalled by it, first of all. Um, I have watched our educational system deteriorate. As you said, I'm retired and I, for that, I am grateful, not because I didn't love my teaching, but because of what I'm seeing happening in our schools. And certainly, we are teaching the wrong subjects. In fact, if I were still teaching, I would have to find a Christian school to teach in, because I could not abide with what is going on. And I'm appalled, again, by this communist <laughs> talk of... Uh, as a the president of this, uh, well, it's a um, union. I never belonged to that. Uh, I didn't believe in it back then, and I certainly don't believe in it now. So anyway, obviously, I am extremely upset by this whole thing, and I'm. This is this is leading to what could very well be the downfall of our country. Our young people need to know the truth. The good and the bad, both, not just one side, of what our country was. And we were established as a Christian geo nation, or Christian Jewish, you know, uh, uh, nation. And we have done very, very well. We're the highlight of the world, or we have been until recently. And so, um, as a person who believes in our country and would fight for it, um, I just am very, 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 very disappointed in our educational system. Thank you, Michael. All right, Nancy. Uh, thanks so much. And I think a lot of people share your frustration uh, with the educational system. And, and we see where it's coming from, right? Not only uh, administrators, but uh, the, the big national uh, teachers union as well. And you, you get a hold of the minds of the children of a nation and you skew their minds and it has a horrible domino effect down through the generations takes a long time to uh, recover it's a big battle and again this in my mind is uh, a big reason why we need to be very proactive about voting to me uh, a third or less of registered voters voting at any time here in california at least uh, in the past couple of years to me is indicative of that apathy and maybe people think uh, all this is okay maybe they're not noticing maybe they don't have the information that's one issue that is one issue that i found by the way that is that is crucial in this uh, in this equation a lot of people just are not exposed to the other sides of things nancy mentioned a great point a moment ago is we need to teach the good and the bad the good, bad, and the ugly, so to speak. And, and I agree with that because when we, we teach about the mistakes, when we teach about uh, the bad stuff that happened in our history, we learn from it. We don't learn when we're tiptoeing through the tulips all the time and, and having our uh, heads in the sky uh, and smoking green leafy things. That, that, is not, that doesn't bring us to rational conclusions and, and good thinking. It doesn't. 
And so I think for a lot of people, it's not, it may not be the case that they don't care or they're basically apathetic. I don't know that a lot of people have the information they need to make good decisions. Because having that information to make good decisions involves work. It involves a lot of conscientious work. We cannot just put ourselves on autopilot and vote indiscriminately every couple of years or if there's local elections every couple of months or recalls and such. We, we can't put ourselves on autopilot. We, we do individually, I believe, have the responsibility to do our best to research, to find out what the issues actually are. And, and what people's voting records are all about. And then we and then we can start talking about, well, is is this person qualified? What what are his or hers policies? If they have some type of a voting record in a in an assembly or a Senate or in a county council, a city council, if they have some track record that we can look at, what does that track record tell us? If they've been quoted in the newspapers, if they've been quoted online, what do those quotes tell us? And Nancy pointed out, and she is correct, and I I know a lot of people bristle at this. I you you cannot convince me that the Judeo Christian ethic was not involved in the foundations of our country. Now, you can argue whether some of the founders were deists whether they were believers or not, uh, with that, and there are some good arguments about that, but I, I don't believe that we can argue the fact that the Judeo-Christian ethic was at one of the uh, foundational pillars of the founding of our country. It was. And when we as a people lose our morality, when we as a people lose our ethics, when we as a people lose any sense of conscience, when we as a people become so narcissistic that it becomes all about us and the world revolves around us and what we want and what we want other people to call us and we want to cancel other people out if they don't agree with us, that's the height of narcissism. Yeah, narcissism, it's self-love, it's self-adulation. And it's not caring about other people. The Judeo-Christian ethic says you can put other, it's good sometimes to put other people above yourself. That means when you serve, you serve with some element of sacrifice. When we're serving and there's no element of sacrifice, often it's really about us making ourselves feel good rather than serving the cause or serving the people that, are in front of us. And so I think we're in a we're in a day right now when the narcissists are taking over. When the when the self-love people are having the upper hand for a moment. I'm encouraged by the fact that we're beginning to see pushback. We're beginning to see people show up at school board meetings and I know nationally the FBI is has been used uh, over the past year or so as uh, as basically an antidote to good people showing up to school board meetings and voicing their opinions. The FBI has been weaponized against them by the federal government and by local government. 
And we need to push back on that. And the best way we can do that right now, short of seceding from the union, is to vote. And in just a few moments, we're going to uh, talk about that. There are, there are these talks about some places seceding. I think it's very interesting to think about what if California seceded from the Union and became its own nation. What do you think it would look like? What, it would, what would it evolve into or devolve into? We'll talk about a, a study that has been done by the University of Virginia's nonpartisan Center for Politics. By the way, any time that something uh, billboards itself as nonpartisan Center for Politics, my antenna go up automatically because I'm really never sure. If you're selling the fact that you're nonpartisan, oftentimes I, I question that. I don't know a lot about uh, UVA's Center for Politics, but it's an interesting poll, and we're going to talk about that in about five or six minutes. And w- with the intent to frame what would it look like if, say, California and Oregon and Washington all seceded from the Union, or California seceded and became its own nation, which in many ways uh, it is. Uh, the leaders in California don't seem to give a whit about the U.S. Constitution nor the California Constitution. They'll just violate the law, figuring it'll take a long time to get the issue through the courts. So that's an interesting proposition. What would happen if states like California and Oregon and Washington became their own states, or maybe they combined to become their own nation, become their own nation rather? Let's think about that. Talk about that in five minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. We'll be right back. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. A pastor with passion. A minister with manners. Now back to the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. We've been talking about voter apathy, about a third, more or less, of registered voters in California participated in the June 7 primaries there. And if you look back, and we did in in, uh, in history in California, not not unusual, and uh, so it's not like it's something that's new. It's, it tends to be a trait. My question to you is, why? Why is there this apathy about voting, especially here in California? Our telephone number, 209-551-3483. We talked about some ancillary issues that may affect that. Talked about the NEA, the president of the NEA, giving her keynote address not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, and extolling the virtues of Angela Davis, an avowed communist. What in the world is she thinking? Well, I think social engineering is on her mind. So a lot of these factors may be playing into this voter apathy. What do you think? 209-551-3483. And let's uh, go to Oakdale and Carol. Uh, Carol, what are your thoughts today? Hi, good afternoon, Mike. Just wanted to throw in a couple ideas here. 
um, kudos to your callers again. Everybody's been awesome. Every time I get ready to call, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. So um, kind of off-topic question uh, to be followed up later. I don't know if anybody did any research on the surety bond that I had brought up about a week ago. So we can discuss that on great. Uh, In terms of the NEA, it should be abolished. Seriously, they do nothing other than just become another arm of the democracy and the rhino party that we have going on right now. And they have a lot of control over our kids. And I hadn't really realized that until my child went to college and she told me, you know, a lot of the books that we had to buy, and they are expensive. You go to college, you buy a book, it's about 250 bucks. It might be more now. They're written by the professor that teaches the class. So they have the total and complete ability to not only educate your child on that, but drill them on that to make sure that they are intaking the information that is their opinion on whatever the the subject should be. And my child was always pretty conservative. We're conservative-minded. And she went to college as conservative, and she returned more as a moderate. I don't have a problem with that. But it kind of, um, I've seen her age group lead to more of this voter apathy to where they are more centralized about their own thoughts, their own needs, uh, their own, however things are for the day. It's like, oh, the fuel's up. Okay, yeah, diesel used to be $1.99 under Trump. Now it's 6 bucks. Oh, well, that's just the way it is. I'm going to drive to the lake anyway. So I don't really, they're just not as serious about community orientation. As we were in growing up, my family was very strong about this is your responsibility to grow up and be a community-based person. When you grow up, you have a certain responsibility as a citizen to this community to better the community and go forward with it and do your part, pull your, pull your weight, get in the traces, and just make sure that we are trying to, to have a good life for everybody. And I just don't see that nowadays. Uh, kids are just, and I say kids, you know, 20s and 30s. Uh, the people in this age group just seem like they just are more based on their own needs, their own ideals. They're very self-centered nowadays, and I'm not sure at what point that actually changed. Yeah, a good, good, uh, good points, Carol. Thanks so much for the call. And, and yes, I did look up uh, the surety bond. I, I think that's a very interesting concept, very difficult to unpack on the air here, but I, I am looking at it, and I think it's very interesting how that would how that would play out in terms of a, a group of people within the community filing suit under that. I don't know, uh, but anyway, it's, it, I, I did research it, and thank you for bringing that up. But I do want to uh, come back to uh, some of your other points here. One about <clears throat> professors and their books. And I remember that back when I was uh, in colleges and universities and even in, in cemetery, I mean seminary, uh, many years ago. And that uh, typically you often are reading the books that the professors write. And that, that can be, uh, Carol, that, that can be a double-edged sword. Uh, if the professor has his or her head screwed on properly, and if they're uh, really a good academic, then that's a positive. However, if their idea is social engineering and to tweak the minds of the students, not and, and college and the university system, to me, education should be about teaching uh, young people to think critically, not, not to be critical, different uh, concept, but to think critically critically. 
uh, take things apart, parse them. Why do I believe what I believe? Why, what does this mean? What, what does this author mean when he or she is writing this? And if I'm be given, being given by the professor a, uh, his or her take on what that means, I want to have the opportunity to question. Uh, one of the great professors I have, probably unknown, is, is uh, Dr. Chapman at Pasadena City College back around, oh, I don't know, 1974, 5, 6, somewhere in there. Anyway, Dr. Chapman, uh, I, I thought he was a booger. Uh, originally, that's a theological term. I, uh, I wrote what I thought at the beginning of, of the semester. He was an English teacher. I thought I wrote what was a dynamic, a dynamic review of, uh, and I think it was it, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, one of his, uh, one of his, I think it might've been the great Gatsby. I thought I had written a brilliant, a brilliant essay on the great Gatsby on a subject that he'd given us. And when I got it back, it had a C on it. Maybe it was a C minus. And I'm one of those guys that I'm, you know, I want an A. I will, I will stay up till five in the morning to try to get the A. I will. Anyway, that C, I was incredulous. So I made an appointment to go see him. And he was very nice, and he said, well, tell me what, uh, what your concerns are. I said, well, you gave me a C on this. He says, yes. Would you like to know why? I said, yes. And he explained to me why, and you know what? He was right. And I learned through that experience to think critically. He said, you're, you've been taught somewhere back there to... Uh, to write in very flowery language and in, in nebulous concepts so that it leaves the the reader kind of in this fluffy world that they they're having it's like grabbing jello when you write and I sat there so what should I do he said are, are you interested in being better I said yes so he called up another called over another professor in his office and he says join me here with Mike, read, read what Mike wrote, and, and let's talk about how to make it better. And so we brought in this other professor, and we were there, I don't know, a good hour and a half. It was one of the best hour and a halfs I ever spent in college. And what it did was it set the stage for me to become a much better journalist. And that was my major, both in... Uh, in junior college and at USC as well, ultimately broadcast journalism and and telecommunications. It gave me a good basis. I learned a lot, and I learned to say what you mean and say it as plainly as possible so that people can get it, and to be willing to listen to criticism because we learn from criticism. And what was very interesting and it was because I worked very, very hard. I understood what he said. I understood what he was looking for. And I got an A the, the rest of that semester, not because I came in and he, he decided to have mercy. He was an unmerciful professor. If, if, if you weren't performing well, he, he gave you a, an appropriate grade. But I learned things from him, and I had the same experience at, uh, at USC as well. I had a journalism professor there. 
name was Warren Olney. Warren Olney was one of the great uh, investigative reporters. He worked for NBC News, uh, Channel what was it Channel Four, I think, in in Los Angeles. Anyway, what he, he was like the ultimate, ultimate investigative reporter at that time. And uh, the first report I did for him. This was a night class, and we'd have to go out, and this is back in the day of the old kind of video recorders, like two-inch tape, and it was there was a monster to carry with you. But anyway, I, I, I did my first report, and then he would critique our reports in class, our, uh, our news reports, and he just thrashed me. But I learned what made good investigative reporting, and by the end... I had improved so much, he, he he looks at me, and in front of the class, he says, I'm almost suspicious that you're a sandbagger. I said, what, what do you mean by that? He said, you know, you started out the year horribly, one of the worst student reporters I've ever had. And he said, you wound up being one of the best. He said, did you really improve or were you sandbagging? I said, no, sir. I said, I learned from you, and what I gave you was honest improvement. And so it, it just, that's what needs to happen in our educational system. I was able to push back and say, why don't you think I'm doing a good job? What do I need to do to improve? We're not instilling that in our students anymore. No, we are opening their brains and we are pouring in whatever the perspective of the professor is and shutting the brain back up and basically saying, don't you dare, don't you dare come back with a contrary opinion. I learned great things from the professors allowing me to push back and then them understanding that's a good part of the educational process. That's what we need today, and it's being lost in our university. It's being in our universities. It's being lost in our colleges. It's being lost in our secondary schools. And part of that is bad teaching begets bad teachers. And there are some of you out there, and I applaud you for staying the course and standing up for what's right. My sister is a teacher in Southern California standing up for what's right. Even when she's criticized by administration, she stands up for what's right. And so for those of you who are educators and you're standing upon your principle, we applaud you. Keep on keeping on. But we need to address those who are not. And I believe, and we just have to look at the recall of Chase of Bodine, and we need to look at the, the recall in progress, hopefully, of George Gascon, if, if all of those signatures qualified. And I think we need to take some comfort in the, in the fact people are beginning to notice what's wrong in our society. They are beginning to notice the non sequiturs. They are beginning to notice what doesn't add up, and they're pushing back. Not because they're Republicans or Democrats or independents, but because they're saying this is a, an assault upon common sense. And they're standing up for it. And that's good news. All right, I've got a quick thing to say 
if we can fit it in about secession before we uh, conclude our time today. And I want to let you know, uh, I'm going to be at a conference for the rest of the week, and uh, there's some uh, good folks that are going to be filling in. want to let you know about them as well. All that coming up in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. He's got issues. Let's talk about it. The Mike Douglas Show on air and online. Welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Again, here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Been talking about voter apathy and what causes that. Let's go very quickly back to the phones. 209-551-3483. Richard from Ceres. What are your thoughts about that today? Yeah, Mike, I think think a lot of it has to do with uh, the economy, and it's all by design where people are just so busy with their life trying to make a living and they're apathetic about going to the polls because even if we go vote, we don't know how our vote's going to be recorded. And I I think corruption is the biggest key to it. And the Democrats will do anything to win, including murder. All right, Richard, thanks for the call. Appreciate that. Uh, Richard, I, I, I would agree with you about uh, the pressure and, uh, and the corruption. And that, that's been a theme uh, today, Richard, by the way. Uh, other callers have brought that up as well. It, it's discouraging, I think, to a lot of people. And, uh, and that may well be one of the reasons for, for voter apathy. And uh, I, I, I would agree with you on those points that uh, the, the, the pressure of day-to-day living, uh, the, the, uh, the economy the way it is, we have so much to worry about right now that it's, uh, I think you may be right, Richard, that for a lot of people, they may just be thinking, look, I've got so much on my plate, uh, 9.1% inflation, I'm worried about paying the mortgage or the rent, whatever it might be. Uh, I look at the corruption uh, and, and it's overwhelming and I'm, I'm not motivated to vote. I'm, I'm giving up. So I, I understand what you're saying from, from that perspective. My encouragement to all who may be feeling that is don't ever give up. We must not give up. We must not let them win. We must not. The lives that have been given and sacrificed for the principle of this country, the lives that are being sacrificed today, the people who are sacrificing their personal money, their personal time to to serve others, to preserve a Judeo-Christian ethic of loving your neighbors as yourself and, and doing good, we must not let that be overcome by evil. My encouragement is to stay the course. Well, part of staying the course, I'm going to be attending a, a very interesting conference with my wife, actually, uh, for the rest of this week. It's it's called the Future Conference uh, by the uh, well-versed folks, and uh, it's uh, it, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be like drinking water out of a fire hose. There's something like 40 presenters in in uh, in two days. But it's all about the future. Uh, how, how do we deal with the future in terms of making sense of it and by uh, keeping our tenets, uh, the, the things that we believe in, our foundational truths, our worldview, how do we bring all that into dealing 
with what's uh, going on to, uh, today. And so there are a variety of different uh, issues, uh, the Bible versus critical race theory. Uh, there's going to be uh, the, the tentacles of globalism. Uh, the rapid rise of totalitarian authoritarianism. That was a, a mouthful, and I didn't do too well with it. And, uh, and then uh, the, the next day, day two, if you don't have access to your money, what can you do? What can you do to avoid being in this situation? If you lose the capacity to communicate electronically with each other, what's your backup plan? If you're not allowed to practice your religion openly and freely, do you know how to go underground? If you had to flee your home, where would you go? If the government forces you to have medical treatments you don't want, what are your options? Ah, this is going to be awesome. And there are a lot of medical issues, too, and that's why uh, my wife is joining me. So uh, I, will be, uh, I will be there at this conference with my wife the rest of the week. And uh, coming up tomorrow, good folks from Modesto PD are going to be with you. Steve Stanfield, Chris uh, Adams, and uh, Eric Schuler from Behind the Badge, uh, the radio program on Saturday mornings. They'll be here Wednesday. Uh, Chris Rickey from the Modesto City Council, Pastor Jim Applegate, they will be here on Wednesday uh, from the Better Modesto Show. And our good friend Ed Parco, frequent guest host here on the Mike Douglas Show, here be, he'll be here on Thursday, and uh, they'll let you know who's coming up on Friday. So uh, you'll be in good hands. I'll look forward to seeing you next Monday on the 25th, and I hope to be able to bring back a lot of wisdom. Do some of those topics pique your curiosity? They piqued mine, and that's why I'm going. I don't go to a lot of conferences anymore. I don't like wasting my time, and I can't afford it. Uh, but this particular conference, I, I think, is going to be absolutely mind-blowing. And uh, again, I'm not just going to go to it and, and soak it up. I hope to be able to come back and share some nuggets of wisdom with you from that conference. So I will be back on Monday the 25th, hopefully with a, a lot of wisdom uh, to impart and share experiences and stories and uh, wisdom from some of these well-qualified speakers. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Again, uh, I know our guest host will take good care of you for the rest of the week. I will see you next Monday here on The Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.